Thank you. That concludes general questions. Before we move to First Minister's questions, I invite members to join me in welcoming to the gallery His Excellency, Mr. Miguel Berger, Ambassador of Germany to the United Kingdom. Thank you. The next item of business is First Minister's questions. At question number one, I call Douglas Ross. Thank you, Presiding Officer. In the last hour, Jamie Dawson, KC, counsel to the COVID-19 inquiry, has explained that the SNP government were asked to provide all communications related to key decisions made during the pandemic. These included all informal messages, including on WhatsApp. Mr Dawson has said, and I quote, no messages were provided. Grieving families deserve answers and full transparency from this government. So why has Hamza Youssef not handed over key messages to the inquiry? First Minister. Can I say first and foremost that uh, my thoughts continue to remain with all of those families that have been bereaved by COVID and affected by COVID. This government will cooperate fully with both the UK inquiry and the Scottish uh, public inquiry. Uh, in terms of what we have uh, uh, released and what we will provide uh, to the inquiry, let me make it clear that any potentially relevant information that we hold, be it in WhatsApp, be it in email, be it in any correspondence, we will hand over, have handed over. And of course, if there, are, if there are concerns that have been raised by the inquiry, as Douglas Ross has rightly said, have been, then we will fully investigate them. Uh, we will, of course, hand over, and we have handed over uh, relevant material. There are some messages that we're going to continue to uh, uh, provide, but they have to go through the appropriate, uh, uh, the appropriate processes. So we will uh, continue to hand over uh, those messages. We'll continue to cooperate fully with the public inquiries, both the UK inquiry and the Scottish inquiry. And for those concerns that have been raised, they will be fully investigated. I'm not sure what the, the First Minister is talking about. This is from this morning. Surely he is aware of what's happening. Jamie Dawson says the Scottish Government has provided the inquiry with no WhatsApp or other informal messaging material, either in its own possession or in the possession of the individuals whose individual Rule 9 requests are being handled by the Scottish Government. He also said there is no clear, comprehensive response emerged in the corporate statements from the Scottish Government. But in May this year, asked a direct question by a journalist, Hamza Youssef said if a request for messages, including WhatsApp, was made, the Scottish Government should be absolutely open and transparent. In June, he said in this chamber, and I quote, WhatsApp messages, emails, signal messages, telegram messages, or whatever, will absolutely be handed over to the COVID inquiries and handed over to them in full. The inquiry has heard this morning that that has not happened. So where are the messages? Where have they gone? And has the Scottish Government deleted any messages? First Minister. The Scottish Government, the, the Scottish Government did not make decisions through WhatsApp. That's not what we routinely did. I know that was very different to what was being intimated by the UK Government. Members, let's hear the First Minister. Routinely, routinely, decisions were not made uh, over WhatsApp. And I have, and I will continue to say to every single government uh, minister, every single government official, that we must comply with the inquiry fully. So if there is relevant information that has been passed on, I note the concerns that were raised this morning. 
Therefore, I've asked the Solicitor General just this morning to internally investigate whether there, of course, are any other messages that have to be handed over. So messages have been, whether it's WhatsApp, whether it's email, whether it's correspondence, all that information has been provided. I myself have provided a statement, uh, of course, uh, to the inquiry as well. But I do note the concerns that have been raised and can give an absolute assurance to the families listening, particularly those families that have been bereaved by COVID, where we hold any relevant information, that will be passed on. Douglas Ross. But it's not. That's what we are hearing this morning. And it shouldn't take the Solicitor General to get involved. The First Minister must know what is required and must have heard, as I did, what the KC, the Council, for the inquiry has said. And despite, and I'm not going to say deliberately, maybe inadvertently, that the First Minister misled Parliament there, because we know, I think that's okay to say, because we know that SNP government ministers do routinely use WhatsApp to discuss government matters. At the end of last year, it was revealed that four SNP ministers were using WhatsApp to conduct government business. Neil Gray, Kevin Stewart, Marie Todd and Hamza Youssef himself. The Council to the COVID inquiry has also revealed today that witness statements, and this is a quote, suggest that informal communication, such as WhatsApp messages, were used by key decision makers to discuss matters around the progress of the pandemic in Scotland. And, this is a quote from the Council, decisions that the Scottish Government might have to take. And crucially, one Scottish Government official has voluntarily handed over WhatsApp messages from the pandemic, proving that they exist, First Minister. So there is no excuse for not releasing them. So why is this information being withheld from grieving families, the inquiry and everyone who deserves answers? First Minister. That is a complete mischaracterisation. And of course, uh, I did not inadvertently mislead the Chamber. I didn't say that there's never been discussions over WhatsApp. What I said is that we didn't routinely make decisions over WhatsApp, which was very different, of course, to what the UK government has right, done. To us here what I would First expect Minister. Scottish government ministers to do and Scottish government officials to do is comply with our mo mobile messaging apps usage and policy. That policy, I believe I wrote to every single member uh, of this chamber, of this parliament with. Now, what I'd also expect, of course, every single minister and government official to do is to, of course, comply with the do not destroy notices that were provided by the UK inquiry. Now, there has been concerns that have been raised. Douglas Ross is absolutely right uh, to, uh, to, to, to reiterate those concerns that were raised on behalf of the committee. I can only say to the families listening that we will take on board those concerns. We will internally investigate fully because my understanding, certainly as I stand here today, uh, is that, uh, that, that routine information uh, has been, relevant information, forgive me, has been passed over. But of course, if there is any concerns raised, they will be fully investigated. And I will ask the Solicitor General to investigate them. And of course, uh, I will update this Parliament on any of those investigations. Douglas Ross. The, the First Minister was speaking about the letter he sent. I've got it here. On the 20th of July, he sent it to all MSPs. He states, I should reiterate here that the Scottish Government is committed to openness and transparency. We are cooperating fully with both the UK and Scottish inquiries, which is totally the opposite to what we've heard from Jamie Dawson this morning. SNP members are saying no. The Council to the inquiry has said they have not received what they asked for from the Scottish Government. And the Scottish Government does have record management policies requiring officials to retain records. 
The SNP business manager, George Adam, told this parliament in December uh, last year, this is a quote, all recorded information that is held by ministers or officials that relates to the business of the Scottish Government is subject to freedom of information law, irrespective of its format or the platform on which it is held. The COVID inquiry also has powers to compel evidence. Refusing to hand over this information would not only be an insult to grieving families, it would not only be a shocking display of secrecy, it would potentially break the law. So will the First Minister confirm that he will be transparent and release every bit of information this government holds? And does he accept that if any messages have been deleted, it would be illegal? First Minister. It is not uh, this government which has broken the law or will break uh, the law. We will comply with not only the law, we will comply and cooperate fully with both the UK inquiry and also the Scottish, government, uh, Scottish uh, public inquiry as well. And so we have passed over what we believe to be relevant information. That being said, First what, uh, Minister, sorry, Douglas First Ross Minister, is shouting First nothing. Minister, if you might just give me a moment. Question has been put to the First Minister. Let's hear the First Minister respond with no other comment. First Minister. Douglas Ross is saying nothing has been handed over. That is incorrect. My own statement to the COVID inquiry is over 100 pages long. So to suggest that there has not been any information passed over, that is simply incorrect. Uh, what we are doing and what we have done is not just complied with our own policy. What I'm seeking assurances on the back of this morning's comments from Council is to make sure that the DNDN notice, do not destroy notice, has been fully complied with, not just by ministers, but by every relevant Scottish Government official. So we take seriously the concerns that have been raised by Council. This Government will undoubtedly fully cooperate with both the UK inquiry and both the Scottish public inquiry too. Thank you. Question number two, Anna Sarwar. Thank you, President Officer. In the past week, two major fires have brought misery and heartache to families who have lost everything. In Loch Gelly, a fire ripped through a four-storey block of flats, and in East Kilbride, six homes were destroyed. According to the FBU, both of these fires raged on because of delays due to cuts in services. And today, one firefighter has told the courier that they were 15 minutes later than they could have been to a second fire in Fife, and that it is only a matter of time before these cuts put lives at risk. He said, we all want to do our best by the communities we serve, but it's difficult when we have one hand tied behind our back. So, First Minister, why can't you see that these cuts are putting lives at risk? First Minister. Can I say to uh, Anna Sawa that, first and foremost, let me pay tribute to each and every single one of our firefighters who do an incredible job uh, in Scotland. I know that uh, from my position, of course, as First Minister, but previously as Justice Secretary uh, too. When it comes to Scottish Fire and Rescue Service, uh, I don't agree uh, about uh, the, the point being made in relation uh, to cuts, because despite the very difficult financial circumstances due to UK government austerity, we're providing SFRS with more than £368 million this year. That's an increase of £14.4 million on 22-23. If I look at how many firefighters we have in comparison to other parts of the UK, as of March of this, uh, last year, there were 11.3 firefighters per 10,000 of the population in Scotland. That compares to 6.1 in England and 8.4 uh, in Wales. If I look at uh, the pay, I'm pleased to say that uh, firefighters accepted an improved uh, two-year pay offer of 7% for 22-23 and 5% for 23-24. Uh, and when it comes importantly, this I think is the most crucial uh, statistic 
uh, for the public who are interested in their safety that, of course, between 2011-2012 and 2021-22, over that 10-year period, the number of recorded fires has dropped uh, by 14 per cent. So we continue to invest, increase, in fact, the investment in the Scottish Fire and Rescue Service. We continue to have more firefighters per head than other parts of the UK. But crucially, fires that are going down because of the investment that we've made. Anna Sarwar. In short, Presiding Officer, uh, First Minister is saying firefighters are wrong and he's burying his head in the sand. Uh, the fire service budget is set by the government and it has fallen by 22% in real terms over the past decade. And the Chief Fire Officer has been clear where the service is headed. He has said that 780 firefighter posts, between 20 and 25% of the workforce, could go if the government doesn't change course. He went on to say that this would impact on response times. When fighting fires, every second counts. So why does the First Minister think he knows better than firefighters on the ground and the Chief Fire Officer about how to keep people safe? First Minister. What I'm saying to Anna Sawar is as a government, we have, of course, invested, increased our investment in the Scottish Fire and Rescue Service. That's a fact. This year, we've increased the funding by 14%. We have more fire officers per head, per 10,000 of the population, than other parts of the UK. And crucially, fires, the number of fires, the incidence of fires, are going down. And that is what, of course, the public uh, care most about. And I will also quote uh, uh, Chief Fire Officer David Farris, because, and I saw I was right, there are changes being made, there are reforms being made in relation to the Scottish Fire and Rescue Service. And in relation to those reforms, uh, Assistant Chief Fire Officer David Farris said, and I quote, we're trying to make sure we get a fire service that is fit for the communities of Scotland in the future. This gives us an opportunity to rebalance and reshape the service in a way that meets the 21st century. And I think that's absolutely right. So I trust the Scottish Fire and Rescue Service to make those changes and do so in a way that continues to keep people safe. I'm not sure why Anna Sarwar doesn't. Anna Sarwar. Trusting firefighters. I think it's me that's standing up here and speaking for firefighters who are camping out this parliament rather than the First Minister. Perhaps he wants to go outside and talk to them. A 22% fall in real terms. This government's financial mismanagement is already affecting every part of a fire service that is suffering from a decade of neglect. In the past 10 years, hundreds of firefighters have been lost and now a dozen appliances are being removed and the First Minister is ignoring warnings that his government is putting lives at risk. In the last few months alone, <clears throat> these changes have affected fire stations in every corner of Scotland. Dundee, Greenock, Dunfermline, Glenrothes, Methil, Perth, Hamilton, Kirkcaldy, Edinburgh and four in Glasgow. If that's not cuts, First Minister, what is? What the single fire service, when the single fire service was created, the SNP said that it would, and I quote, not result in cutting frontline services. What was that, SNP spin? or SNP incompetence. First Minister. Let's again, instead of sticking to the spin that Anna Sawar uh, is continuing to, continuing to articulate, let me stick to the facts. The facts are that since 2017-18, there's been a substantial year-on-year -year increases in funding yeah. to support the Scottish Fire and Rescue Service. On top of that, we have more firefighters per head, per 10,000 of the population, than other parts of the UK. Of course, fires are going down. In terms of the temporary, temporary, temporary withdrawal of appliances, and Anna Sawar is right, there has been a temporary decision to withdraw some appliances. 
That, my understanding is that's 10 appliances of their 635 operational appliances. So that's 1.5%. Uh, and when I look at what the independent, uh, Her, His Majesty's Chief Inspector at Fire and Rescue Services uh, has said, they've provided absolute assurance that the SFRS temporary changes are based on a robust analysis of activity levels, historical demand, and importantly, the ability to supplement any, uh, any initial response within, and this is the crucial bit, an acceptable time frame. So we continue to invest in our fire service, and I want to thank and pay tribute to the FBU, to our firefighters on the ground, and I'll continue to give them a promise that so long as we are in government, we'll continue to ensure that they get the investment that they need to keep our public safe. Question number three, Alex Cole-Hamilton. Officer, to ask the First Minister when the Cabinet will next meet. First Minister. Tuesday. Alex Cole-Hamilton. Vast numbers of people are being forced to call emergency dental helplines because they can't find an NHS dentist. An investigation I'm publishing today shows that that happened almost 16,000 times last year in Fife alone. Now, that's hardly surprising, given that there is just one Fife practice accepting new NHS patients. Across Scotland, people are desperate. Some are even resorting to DIY dentistry. The First Minister's recovery plan promised to abolish NHS dentistry charges altogether, but they're not going away. Next week, they're going up. Some will even double. And what the government didn't tell you is that there are new charges for those emergency appointments and things like denture repairs. So can I ask the First Minister, why are people paying more for less under the SNP? First Minister. Well, first of all, uh, of course, the, the, the word that uh, Alex Hamilton did not mention in his, in his question, sorry, was the word pandemic. There has been a significant impact because of the pandemic on our dental services, not just here in Scotland but right across the UK. Alice Coe Hamilton was also incorrect in saying that we haven't made progress in relation to removing dental charges. We have done so for young people, for those that are under the age of 26. And we, of course, look forward to making continued progress. In terms of growing the NHS, the NHS dental workforce in Scotland, we have 55 dentists per 100,000 of the population. That's compared to 43 uh, per 100,000 uh, in England. So we are investing uh, in our dental services, in our NHS dental services, I'm more than happy, and the Cabinet Secretary will be more than happy to write to Ansco Hamilton with details of the progress that we have made. And crucially, when it comes to the oral health of our young people in particular, where I know all of us have an interest, there has been significant progress uh, as well. It will, of course, take time, but what I can absolutely guarantee is not just the public, but those working in our, or, uh, in our dental sector right across Scotland, is that we'll continue to invest in dentistry in here in Scotland so we can continue to improve outcomes for patients right across the country. Question number four, Claire Hawhey. To ask the First Minister, in light of the launch of Scotland's new HIV anti-stigma campaign in partnership with the Terence Higgins Trust, what action the Scottish Government is taking to eliminate new transmissions of HIV? First Minister. Well, we are delighted to partner with the Terence Higgins Trust, other HIV stakeholders in this important anti-stigma campaign. Tackling stigma is one of the many ways to address HIV transmission in Scotland by reducing barriers to testing and treatment, as well as improving the lives of people living with HIV. We remain absolutely committed to eliminating HIV transmission in Scotland by 2030. Our HIV transmission elimination delivery plan, developed by the Deputy Chief Medical Officer and stakeholders, will prioritise the recommendations for HIV elimination that we published last year. Uh, our aim is to publish this plan in the coming months. I thank the First Minister for that answer. Stigma often presents a barrier to people accessing HIV testing 
And this anti-stigma campaign is an exciting milestone in Scotland's mission to improve the lives of those living with HIV and to update public attitudes. A first of its type in the UK, the campaign will reflect the realities of living with HIV in Scotland today, where if an individual is on the right treatment, they can live a long, happy and healthy life and cannot pass the virus on to others. Does the First Minister agree with me that tackling stigma around HIV will help Scotland reach zero new transmissions of the virus and will improve and save lives? First Minister. Well, I do absolutely agree with Claire Hockey on that point. Tackling stigma is absolutely fundamental to achieving our HIV transmission elimination goal by 2030. The campaign that I referenced and that um, <coughs> Claire Hockey referenced in our original question is just one way of addressing that stigma. We're also working with NHS Education Scotland to produce training materials for non-HIV specialists in the NHS to improve the detection and diagnosis of HIV. And we're also working with Waverley Care to support fast-track cities, which provide stigma-related training activities for the health and social care workforce. Uh, almost half the people in Scotland, uh, almost half uh, of the population in Scotland would be ashamed to tell other people that they were HIV positive. So work is still required, very much required, to challenge misconceptions while also improving access to testing, to preventative treatment and also to support people living with HIV. And these will be prioritised in our HIV transmission elimination delivery plan. Carol Mockin. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Can I say that this new partnership is welcome and we must do all we can to eliminate new transmissions of HIV. Therefore, can I ask the First Minister for a progress update on commitments made by the Scottish Government on World AIDS Day 2022, including the pilot of an e-prep clinic, which would act as an important and significant step towards ending stigma and giving people greater control over their own health care? First Minister. I will ensure uh, that the member, I will ensure that, that uh, we write to the member with full uh, details in terms of an update, but Scotland has been <coughs> while leading in the implementation of HIV pre-exposure prophylaxis PrEP uh, since the introduction of our programme in 2017. Um, we do have to recognise, and the point is well made uh, by the member, that PrEP has to be as accessible as possible to communities uh, and for those who require in communities up and down um, Scotland. Uh, work is uh, underway, very much underway, to pilot, pilot the online uh, PrEP clinic. £400,000 of funding has been provided for the development of this project which is currently in the important development stage uh, and is on track to be taken forward during 2024 and beyond. But I'll ensure a fuller update is provided to the member. Question number five, Megan Gallagher. Thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's response is to reported concerns that parents are having to give up their jobs due to childcare costs. First Minister. Early learning and childcare plays a crucial role, not just in children's development, but in helping parents, particularly mums, to return to work. Our current offer is, of course, the most generous in the UK, with all three- and four-year-olds uh, and around a quarter of two-year-olds entitled to 11.40 hours of childcare each year. Uh, independent research shows that 88%, almost nine out of ten parents, with a three- to five-year-old were satisfied that they could access childcare in a way that meets their specific needs. But I do recognise we have to, of course, go further to support more parents uh, to find or indeed to stay in work. That's why in the programme for government that I set out, uh, I set out my plans to improve uh, childcare, the childcare offer, to expand the childcare offer, to work with our partners to help uh, 13,000 more children and families access that childcare by the end of this parliament. Megan Gallagher. 
Presiding officer, childcare costs are one reason why so many women choose not to start a family. Families with children are having to cut down on essential items because they cannot afford to work and pay for childcare. This is why the rollout of free childcare is so important. It's not a luxury, it's a tool to get parents into work and our economy moving. So given the Scottish Government have not announced anything on childcare since the programme for government, how will he reassure women that they won't end up pregnant then screwed by this government? First Minister. The programme, the programme for government, uh, of course, was just last month, and I'm more than happy uh, to provide uh, an update uh, to Megan Gallagher as we make uh, substantial progress. I go back to the point, of course, that in Scotland we have the most generous uh, childcare offer in the UK. Uh, what I would also say is one of the important points that I mentioned in my programme for government is, of course, the sustainability of the PVI sector, um, and we are uh, Scotland is the only part of the UK to pay staff who are delivering funded ELC the real living wage. We're committed to providing the necessary funding to increase pay to £12 an hour for staff who deliver funded ELC provision in the private, voluntary and independent sector. So we are investing in that most generous childcare offer. I'm sure other parts, other governments in the UK might want to follow Scotland's lead. Martin Whitfield. I'm, I'm very... I'm very grateful, Presiding Officer. The First Minister will be aware that the data that was produced by Pregnant Then Screwed campaign is damning. So does the First Minister share the confidence that the Scottish Government ministers do that the private sector childcare nursery model is still viable, even with the proposed Scottish Government funding? First Minister. I, I did see that uh, report, and I want to thank Pregnant uh, but screwed, uh, and Screwed but, uh, for, the, for, for the information they provide in the report that they have done. Uh, that is why I was uh, keen to, to put on record that we do recognise that our challenges, particularly in the PVI sector, I think we all recognise that in our conversations uh, with the private, voluntary and independent sector. That's why we are going to be providing, and we will be providing funding, to increase uh, pay to £12 an hour for staff who deliver ELC provision. But I do go back to the point that I made to, uh, to Megan Gallagher a moment ago that uh, through independent research, and, and I stress the word uh, independent, it shows that 88% of parents with a three to five year old were satisfied that they could access childcare in a way that meets their needs. But I do recognise the point the member raises about the sustainability of the sector. And that's why I am absolutely committed uh, to work with the PVI sector to ensure that we have a sustainable ELC provision going forward. Willie Rennie. I'm afraid what the government's done so far on the PVI sector isn't enough. I think the, minister, the First Minister knows there's an exodus of experienced staff from the private and voluntary and independent sector. And he can't just do the £12 an hour living wage. He needs to increase the fee rates or we're going to have a sector that's just not sustainable. He promised that in the leadership contest. Is he going to deliver? First Minister. Again, of course, we will update the Parliament in terms of our plans around the budget, uh, of course, in due course at the end of this year. It's fair to say that overall capacity of the number of registered places uh, across the whole childcare sector remains stable and has remained stable between March 2020 uh, and March 2023. And we know from the delivery data that we collect uh, from uh, councils specifically, the number of hours that services uh, offer has increased. Uh, but I do take the point that there are challenges uh, around uh, the sustainability of childcare. That's why we will continue to invest, continue to ensure that we have the most generous offer uh, than anywhere else in the UK. Question number six, Jackie Bailey. 
to ask the First Minister what steps are being taken to eradicate long waiting times for NHS treatment in light of Public Health Scotland data showing that over 1,500 patients have waited more than three years. First Minister. Well, excessively long waits are, of course, uh, unacceptable. We're working hard to drive down those longest waits, and we've already seen a significant reduction since targets were announced last July. The latest Public Health Scotland data shows that 73% of inpatient daycare specialities had less than 10 patients waiting more than three years, and only eight had 10 or more. This is welcome progress, but there's undoubtedly more to do, which is why in each of the next three years, we will provide an extra £100 million to accelerate treatment for patients and reduce inpatient and day case waiting lists by an estimated 100,000 patients. This investment will allow, will allow us to maximise capacity, build far greater resilience into the system and deliver those year-on-year -year reductions in the number of patients who have waited far too long for treatment. Jackie Bailey. Let's talk about people, not percentages. And it is true, in July last year, the First Minister announced a series of targets for completely eradicating long waits for treatment by September 2022. Not a single one of those targets has been met. In fact, instead of being zero as promised, there are a shocking 6,831 Scots waiting more than two years. His recent announcement of £300 million over three years is expected to treat 100,000 people. The waiting list sits at 800,000 people, and it's growing. Both the BMA and RCN have been scathing about the total failure to acknowledge the workforce crisis, and even his own economy minister admitted that they had no idea how it will all be funded. So, Presiding officer, when will the First Minister end the 800,000 people on the waiting list? And in light of the SNP's failure to deliver on existing promises on waiting times, why should patients believe them now? First Minister. Again, uh, Jackie Bailey, of course, does not, uh, does not acknowledge the impact that the global pandemic has had on health services right across yeah. the UK. Of course, in Scotland but in health services right across the United Kingdom. And of course, there are differences in how we record uh, waiting times right across the UK. Waiting times in England and Wales, they're measured by referral to treatment time. That's the 18-week target, which, uh, as I say, they're not directly comparable to Scotland's treatment time guarantee. But nonetheless, when we look at the data from the 30th of June this year, it shows that there was 122 patients waiting per thousand of the population for the treatment time guarantee and new outpatient appointments here in Scotland. So that's 122 per thousand. That's fewer than in England, where 134 uh, patients per 100,000, uh, per 1,000 are on the RTT waiting list. And in Wales, the figure is 243 per thousand. My point is, while acknowledging there are differences in ways that those figures are measured, that the, the, global, uh, in, the global pandemic has impacted health services right across the UK. We have made significant uh, reductions. The number of waiting over two years for new outpatient appointments is down by 59% uh, when it comes to those waits of over two years. And when it comes to those people who have been waiting as inpatients for longer than two years, then that has reduced also by 28% since targets were announced. So we'll continue our record investment in the NHS. We'll continue to ensure that our staff is at historically high and record at levels. And we'll continue to make sure, of course, that our NHS staff remain the best paid anywhere else in the UK. Sandesh Gilhani. Given the unacceptably long secondary care wait times, desperate patients are forced to continue to see GPs 
placing greater strain on primary care and taking up appointments, forcing new issues from patients to wait, leading to them going to A&E in desperation. This is a system-wide cycle of despair that has contributed to record deaths this winter. You've spoken about surgical waiting times, but what about our patients waiting for medical clinics, chronic pain management, respiratory or cardiology? What tangible changes are you making specifically for them? Always through the chair, please, Mr Gulhani, First Minister. Well, first and foremost, that is exactly why we're investing an additional £300 million to reduce waiting yeah. lists for patients yeah, yeah. that have been waiting far too long. Uh, but Sanders Gohani asked the question, what are we doing? We're doing everything we possibly can, our NHS staff are doing everything they possibly can to increase activity in order to aid the recovery. Just give, I'll give, you one I'll give uh, Sanders Gohani one example uh, of that. When we look at inpatient day case activity for quarter two, it was the highest since the start of the pandemic. In fact, it was the sixth quarterly increase in a row with 58,813 people, patients being seen in quarter two. So we are increasing the activity, but what we are also doing is making sure that we, uh, that we increase uh, the workforce where we can. So we have had uh, recently historically high levels of NHS staff, and we're making sure that they continue to be the best paid. And of course, what will help us in relation to that NHS activity is to make sure that no NHS worker, be it a doctor or a nurse or any of our NHS staff, feels like they have to go on strike because they're not being fairly paid. So this government will continue to make sure that our NHS staff are the best paid in the whole of the UK. Thank you. We move to general and constituency supplementaries and I call on Rona Mackay. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Can the First Minister outline how the newly announced Fund to Leave will support women fleeing an abusive relationship? First Minister. The new £500,000 Fund to Leave pilot will help reduce the financial burden on women who can receive up to £1,000 to pay for the essentials that they and their children need, for example, for rent, be it for clothing. Uh, the fund is to support women experiencing domestic abuse who, as we all know, face many challenges, many difficulties, including financial barriers when they plan to leave abusive partners. It is vital that women are able to access the support that they need when they need it. And this can be through local authorities, a local women's aid group, uh, or indeed partners involved in delivering the fund. Uh, I would always urge any woman experiencing domestic abuse or violence to reach out for support available through Scotland's domestic abuse and forced marriage helpline. Thank you. Russell Finlay. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Claire Ingalls was tortured and murdered in her own home, leaving behind a young son. Fiona and Ian Ingalls have found the strength to be here today, 24 hours after their daughter's killer was jailed. They are here for answers. Why was a violent criminal with dozens of convictions granted bail, not just once or twice, but five times? And since Clare's murder, why has the SNP government passed a law that will make it even harder to remand criminals in custody? And will Hamza Youssef commit to an independent, robust and transparent inquiry? First Minister. First and uh, foremost, my thoughts are very much with Ian and Fiona, uh, the parents, uh, Claire's uh, parents. I cannot imagine the trauma and the grief that they are going through. There cannot be anything more unnatural in this world than to have to bury uh, your child. So I uh, extend the condolences and sympathies of this government uh, to Ian 
and uh, Fiona. I will, uh, forgive me, President, with your indulgence, take a bit of time to answer some of the questions that Russell Findlay has posed on behalf of the family. Uh, first and foremost, it is appropriate for me to say that, of course, decisions about bail and remand are for the independent judiciary, they're for the independent courts to determine. They are not for the First Minister or indeed any government or indeed any politician to interfere in or intervene in. In terms of the Bail and Release Act, I do not agree with the characterisation, uh, uh, Russell Finlay's characterisation. When I look at the Bail uh, and Release Act, it is, of course, for the first time that the Act makes clear that the court should specifically consider victim safety, which includes both physical and psychological harm when applying the new bail test. So that, that is for the first time explicit uh, within uh, the Act. So victim safety is absolutely at the heart of any decision that should be made around bail uh, and remand. In terms of uh, an independent uh, inquiry, uh, as Russell Finlay has asked for, uh, he knows that I cannot intervene or interfere in the decisions of the judiciary, given the concerns that have been raised by Russell Finlay, that have been raised by Ian and Fiona. I will, of course, convey those concerns directly both to the Lord President and indeed the Lord Advocate when it comes to prosecutorial uh, decisions and decisions to either oppose uh, or accept uh, bail uh, conditions. It will be for them to, of course, uh, appropriately respond, but I cannot demand an investigation into a decision that has been made by the independent uh, judiciary, or certainly it would be unwise for me to do so, uh, because that would be seen undoubtedly as interference uh, uh, with uh, a, a decision made by the independent judiciary. I will end by saying that uh, this dreadful case, this tragic case, reminds us of the need to do more to, 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 to tackle not just domestic abuse, but indeed domestic uh, homicide. And that's why the Scottish Government is committed to developing a multi-agency domestic homicide review model in partnership with key stakeholders, which I will give more information to Russell Findlay and to any other member that has an interest. Mercedes Vialba. I remind members of my register of interest as a member of Unite the Union. Today it was announced that Newman Bonnar, the company set up earlier this year to acquire historic Dundee textile manufacturer Bonnar Yarns, is closing, risking the livelihoods of 57 workers and their families. Can I invite the First Minister to take this opportunity to join the provisional liquidators in asking that any party who has an interest in acquiring the business please contact them? And will the First Minister join me in fighting to save these important manufacturing jobs in Dundee? First Minister. I do share uh, Mercedes Vialba's uh, clear disappointment uh, to hear that Newman Bonner Limited has gone into liquidation. My immediate thoughts, of course, are with the staff and with their families who are again going through further uncertainty. Uh, the, the Wellbeing Economy Secretary had met with and written to the company in recent months to encourage it to fully engage with Scottish Enterprise so that every available option to save the business could be explored. I know the business has had a long-standing presence in the community, of course, as an important local employer. And we will certainly do everything we can in our power to protect jobs uh, and the manufacturing footprint in Dundee. Scottish Enterprise is engaging directly with the liquidator to better understand the situation given last night's uh, announcement. And we, of course, as a government, stand ready to provide support to any employees who are potentially facing redundancy through, uh, of course, our partnership action for continuing employment pace, and I'll keep the member updated uh, on how those conversations are going. Maggie Chapman. Apologies, presiding officer. Thank you. This week, the FBU Scotland launched their firestorm report, 
In the last seven days, we've seen them tackle floods and flames. Our fireys are gathered outside right now, and they are clear. They cannot continue in their current roles, never mind adapt to the future kinds of roles they are expected to do with the current levels of investment. Can I ask the First Minister what his response to their firestorm report is, and will he agree to meet with firefighters themselves, not their managers, frontline firefighters, to hear directly their concerns? First Minister. First and foremost, I go back to the response uh, to Anna Sarwar. We will continue to ensure that we invest in our fire service because they do an incredible job, and of course in our firefighters, who uh, we have a regular dialogue uh, with uh, the FBU. In fact, I think the Cabinet Secretary has committed uh, just this morning to meet with the Fire Brigades Union to meet directly with those on the front line. We did, of course, this financial year increase SF SFRS's budget by 14.4 million. That's despite the current financial pressure that we are under. On top of that, uh, of course, we continue to uh, make investments uh, in the Scottish Fire and Rescue Service that has seen them, through their incredible hard work, reduce the number of fires that have taken place uh, over the course of the last year. So I do have the Firestorm uh, report. I have read through uh, the report, and of course, the Cabinet Secretary will meet with the FBU, as she committed to this morning. Christine Graham. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Uh, First Minister, under the Scottish Government's vaccination programme, I recently had both the COVID and the flu vaccines at a very busy, efficient and indeed friendly vaccine centre. But that's anecdotal. So can I ask for an update on the take-up of the vaccine, please? First Minister. Christine Gray makes an incredibly important point. Of course, we know that the vaccine and the vaccines, both for COVID uh, and flu, are incredibly uh, effective and important. I would encourage anybody who's eligible to come forward for those vaccines. The programme uh, is progressing very well, with over 1.7 million vaccines administered so far. That's over 1 million flu vaccines and almost 700,000 COVID uh, vaccines. For those at our highest risk, our rephasing of the programme has resulted in 73% of care home residents already vaccinated, with the remainder due for completion by the end of this uh, month. A large number of people have appointments throughout the rest of October and November, uh, with vaccines due to be delivered by early December. Uh, I would uh, say to, to everybody, I would reiterate to all of those who are eligible, uh, that getting the flu vaccine, getting the COVID vaccine, uh, could save your life. It is uh, the safest and most effective way to protect yourself and the NHS this winter. So if you are eligible, please do, uh, but are yet to book an appointment, please do so. I encourage everybody who's eligible to get those vaccines. Miles Briggs. Uh, thank you, President Officer. This week I met with campaigners to discuss the impact of lockdowns on families of those living in care homes. After a long campaign, it was welcome that the Scottish Government announced that they would implement Anne's law. However, there are concerns that that still hasn't taken place and it's currently sitting within the National Care Service Bill. Um, campaigners want to see it decoupled. So can I ask the First Minister if he will agree to meet with the campaigners and if ministers will look urgently at decoupling Anne's law and delivering it now? First Minister. Of course, uh, through changes that were made uh, by the previous uh, Minister for Social Care, Kevin Stewart, uh, of course, you gave practical effect through regulation uh, to Anne's law. That notwithstanding, uh, of course, if there's something else we can do, and the suggestion being made by Miles Brigg in relation to decoupling, 
I will consider. But of course, we do have the National Care Service bill uh, progressing. Of course, we took time to pause that uh, due to concerns that were being raised by local authorities and by trade uh, unions. And of course, I will ask the Cabinet Secretary to meet with Miles Briggs and indeed uh, with the families who are represented uh, by those who uh, are in care homes to see if there is anything further we can do. Bill Kidd. Thank you, President Officer. As we mark uh, Care Experience Week, can the First Minister provide an update on the steps the Scottish Government is taking to improve the experiences and outcomes for looked-after children as they transition to adulthood? First Minister. I do think every single member of the Scottish Parliament who has met with Care Experience people, particularly Care Experience young people, uh, will have been moved by their plight, by their strength, by their advocacy, and I had the great privilege uh, to meet with a group of care experienced young people in Glasgow yesterday, and I heard about some of the challenges that care experienced people face during that transition into adulthood. And for anyone moving away from home, <coughs> can be a challenging time when we rely heavily on our family support networks, but not everybody has that family support network. Not everybody has the luxury uh, of their, their mother and their father, or indeed uh, wider family to be able to rely on. And that's why I was pleased to set out the government's proposal for a £2,000 care lever payment to provide financial support at such a pivotal moment in young people's lives as part of a broader package of support. This is a key step in keeping the promise. And let me reiterate to the Chamber today that I, as First Minister and this government, uh, fully intend not just on keeping the promise, but making sure it's delivered. Thank you. That concludes First Minister's questions.